0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: He has Parliament Hill on speed dial, and they know when the phone rings, no comment is not an option. This is The Roy Green Show.
0: And classmates knew he was a big problem must always report such instances to authorities again and again. We did. Time and time again.
1: Since he was in middle school it was no surprise to anyone who knew
0: him to hear that he was the shooter. The uh, emotion, the emotion in the voice of a uh, classmate Schoolmate of Nicholas Cruz, the shooter in uh, in Florida at the Fort Lauderdale school. Just you hear that voice, and you get a, a sense of of what the students are are going through, what their what their feelings are, and what the post traumatic stress disorder issues are going to be for them. Because there's no way that they're equipped. No way anybody's equipped for that kind of situation to develop around them. School shootings, kids' violence against other kids, you've heard this a million times. Now, when we were kids, things would be settled by wrestling after school usually, and that'd be it. Uh, No one brought guns to school, nobody had a gun. A few brought knives. Uh, No one ever thought of running down school rivals with a vehicle, and we'd be shocked at the idea of school security systems which included locked school doors, walking through weapon uh, detectors. But today, how far behind American school violence is Canada and how far behind are Canada's school kids? There have been gun incidents. There has been violence. There have been deaths. Just a few weeks ago, we spoke with a teachers' union vice president in Ontario who told us that elementary school teachers are wearing Kevlar to school in order to protect them from knife attacks by grade five kids. So now we have two gun incidents which have gripped public attention in this country. One is the trial of Saskatchewan farmer Gerald Stanley and the shooting death of uh, Colton Bushy, the aboriginal man. And the other, of course, is this horrific Florida school shooting. And my guest, Dr. Gary Slutkin, and I spoke with Dr. Slutkin, I think about three years ago, about this very same issue. And it was about the gun violence in Chicago at the time. There had been something in the neighborhood of 7,000 shootings in the calendar year. And so we spoke with Dr. Slutkin. He's a professor of epidemiology and international health. Infectious diseases specialist at the University of Illinois at Chicago School of Public Health. He's also the founder of CureViolence.org, CureViolence.org. The program is international, hugely successful, operates in this country. And in Chicago, listen to this. In Chicago, there was a 41 to 73 percent drop in shootings and killings in cure violence zones. So, where they used cure violence in zones in Chicago, the shooting violence, the shootings were down between 41 and 73 percent. This is a very serious effort. It's uh, in the top 10 NGOs globally. Dr. Slutkin, it's good to talk to you again. Thank you so much for the time.
1: No, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you, and nice to be with you again, Mark.
0: Yeah. When you hear about and when you see the developments coming out of Florida, what is your response as a, as a physician? What is your response as uh, the uh, the innov- innovator of CureViolence.org?
1: Well, it, it's extremely frustrating, and also to watch the usual news coverage of it is is highly frustrating. The, what what we um, have determined, I'm um, looking at this uh, problem of contagious violence in America or anywhere, is that um, it's it's really the health and public health sector that is missing here. In other words, in in this particular case, um, uh, this young man who, as a child and continued to be autistic with uh, attention deficit disorder, enormous psychological problems, expelled from school. Um, I think his brother had been committed. He himself had cut his arms uh, on uh, Snapchat. He's been screaming out for help. His, his uh, stepmother or his uh, adopted mother had just died. And the calls, uh, to us, this is a local health department issue. Instead of, I mean, you, it's okay to call law enforcement in nationally in Washington or whatever, or even locally, but it, law enforcement doesn't have exactly the tools for helping this person and preventing him from doing harm. Um, It's more of a a regular, continuous outreach worker or interrupter, behavior change specialist that this person needed. And he had been crying for this kind of help and didn't get it. It, But it it isn't just normal, like mental health. This is uh, the way that, we at Cure Violence and others around the country and around the world, as you point out, are doing violence prevention now. It's very specific, and it has there's responsibility within the system for finding uh, events, for potential events, preventing them, preventing spread. And that's why um, this approach gets such strong results now.
0: I want, I, want I want to talk to you go about those. I want to talk to you about the results, and talk to you about where in the world the program is being used. Canada is one place, but let me go back to the beginning for you. How did you make the connection between violence and, at the time, Chicago's gun violence was epidemic, still is, I guess, uh, but not nearly as much where the uh, CureViolence.org program is practiced. How did you make the connection between between violence and public health?
1: Well, as you know, I used to work at World Health Organization on um, diseases that spread that we know about, like Ebola and cholera and AIDS, and many of these are issues of contagious behavior, and we have methods in public health that very few people know about and being able to reach people and um, help them change their behaviors to safer and healthier behaviors, and we use outreach workers and, in this case, violence interrupters and other cases, other types of health workers. And this is the bread and butter of how so many diseases have been gone in, have gone into the past, and it's also the reason why we live longer, and so on. So when I came back to uh, the U.S., I, I began to um, hear about the violence in, in U.S. cities, and I didn't think that what was being done made any sense. And as I um, was analyzing it, it had all the properties of every other contagious infectious diseases. And um, not to go into details, but it spreads similarly from one person to another. And these mass shootings are another example of this. Suicides are another example of this. And in in this case, you know, spread is sometimes um, by uh, social media or even from regular media. So um, we just began to attempt to uh, use the same methods that we use for preventing Ebola power cholera or AIDS, and it works. And it's now there's been seven or eight independent evaluations, and I mean, Chicago went off the hook when um, about 13 out of 14 communities lost funding because the state wasn't funding anything, for, didn't have a budget, and now it's coming back into um, operation. But it's New York has uh, 18 communities, I think, going up to 22 this year. Los Angeles has something like it. In Baltimore, it's working. Um, New Orleans, Philadelphia, all many many Latin American countries are using this. It's been used violence has been used in the election in Kenya and prison violence in um, uh, the UK to reduce violence recruitment, and now we're working in the Middle East, but you know, there, it, we're it's an uphill uh, struggle because people are still looking at violence as something, something else rather than a health issue. Mm-hmm. This kid had a health issue. People who are doing violence, they themselves have a contagious health issue, which is interruptible and preventable, and that's what we do in health and public health. So this is the sector. This is the way of looking at it. This is where the methods are showing our results now.
0: Let me take a quick break, uh, Dr. Slutkin, and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more with you. The uh, I-, I guess the default position when it comes to violence is to apply the criminal justice code and systems in whichever country or whichever jurisdiction the violence is taking place. People don't immediately start to think of it as a public health issue and may have difficulty making that um, step from considering it to be a criminal justice matter to being a public health matter. So when we come back, I want to ask you about how it actually works when it's put into practice. How, if you can talk at one jurisdiction and explain to us how, in fact, cure violence was used in that jurisdiction and how it helped, because you also have to have buy-in from the people who are committing the violence. We'll come back with Dr. Gary Slutkin. It's CureViolence.org. Stay with us. His
1: bark is worse than his bite. This is the Roy Green Show.
0: It was after Columbine that uh, I was talking to a dad who had a think a fifteen or sixteen year old girl in school in Hamilton, Ontario, and he said to me, "When I kiss my daughter goodbye in the morning, I fully expect to see her that evening." And it was uh, it was it was a, a statement that resonated with so many people following Columbine, but the sense was that this was probably a one-off. It was never going to happen again. And, of course, it has. And then there's the additional violence that happens in communities. And we've focused a great deal in North America on Chicago and thousands of shootings in that city. The Cure Violence program, cureviolence.org, that we're talking to Dr. Slutkin about, Dr. Gary Slutkin, who who uh, conceived of this program and is the founder of it, just looking at some stats from Chicago, um, Seven communities in Chicago that used, that are using the CureViolence.org program, forty-one to seventy-three percent reduction in shootings, forty percent reduction, uh, cooling of hot spots, hundred percent reduction in retaliation homicides, in five to eight communities, or five of eight communities, and overall the impact of the ceasefire program is significant to moderate, to large size. It's uh, it's really amazing. So, Dr. Slutkin, if we maybe we can look at Chicago because that's the sort of the model that people have talked about for a long time. How does Cure Violence work in that environment? How do you employ it? How do you engage it? How do you measure the success?
1: Well, the idea, um, ideal formulation of of Cure Violence, and you can imagine this in Chicago or New York or in um, this uh, town in uh, Florida, is that the health department oversees, as it does the overseeing of any health epidemic, to ensure that it doesn't happen, that epidemics don't happen, don't get started, don't continue, and that prevention is in place. And so there it, at um, at the top level, there's a health department. Then you have community groups who are very, very local, who are selected for their knowing what's going on in their immediate neighborhood. And they hire, and we at Violence help them select the people who have the access and trust and credibility of the people in the neighborhood who are having problems. The people we are choosing, the people who are trusted by them, whether they're um, trusted by the kids who are in the school, the kids who are out of school, the kids who are most involved in violence are most likely to. And those particular individuals Maybe may be 10 or maybe 20 or 25 of such people. They're now trained in every day knowing what's going on, who's upset about what, who might be thinking about violence. And then if when that um, they get alerted and they get alerted because um, for one thing, they're talking to people all day. You know, who's upset? How's everything? How's everything in the school? Are you concerned about anything? what's going on in the neighborhood, what happened at the party last night, they get information because it's it's confidential and they're there to help people. And so the buy-in isn't a problem because everybody wants the service, everybody, so many people want the help, and so many people have already seen the results of violent events not having happened that they were worried about and people getting redirected. So those workers every day are interacting with people who are considered to be at the highest risk, but they don't just call them up or watch them or like um, survey them, they're talking with them all the time and helping them change their thinking and change their life course with whatever is needing and needed. And they're very, very highly trained in persuading people and cooling people down and also in changing their thinking and then connecting them with services and staying with them for weeks, months, sometimes up to a couple years or more to ensure that they get on a better path. So... It, and one worker can be looking after or helping 20 or 40 people, you know, and making sure. You know, it's just kind of the opposite of, in a way, law enforcement, which is just looking to see if you do something wrong, and it takes 20 people to watch someone. This is where one person can um, help 20 people, and it's about helping. And then, And they make sure that they're on a dir- direct course. And so this is very measurable. This is what we do in public health and epidemiology is that we're we're measuring everything we're measuring how people are getting better we're tracking everything and then of course you know the bottom line is that communities end up having you know very very few um shootings or killings there's some communities in baltimore new york that have gone a year two years and up to three years at at zero that used to have used to be some of the more dangerous communities in these cities
0: that's amazing it, it really is It now. really is amazing, and I can see how uh, gang members who would be perhaps inclined, not, not perhaps, but definitely be inclined, to engage in revenge activity if there was an assault or if there was a shooting, they would immediately say, look, our code requires that we get back at them, and we up the ante, so if the intervention is in place before the incident happens, then when the incident happens, the intervention is going to help and there'll be more buy-in as the community calms down.
1: Yeah, no one really wants to do violence, no. and no one. And they just need to be aware and sure that they themselves are not going to be hurt and that they're socially safe among their friends for not doing it.
0: Tell me this. Uh, we, we have about 90 seconds left. Tell me this. How much buy-in do you have? And I know that the uh, mayors of the United States just incredibly... In, in numbers, endorse the program, but how much buy-in do you have from communities, from states, whether we're talking the United States or whether we're talking Canada or anywhere else, with people who with governments that say we understand the value of this, let's let's get into it, let's fund it, and let's let's benefit from from uh, Cure Violence.
1: I, it's it's just growing. I mean, we Cure Violence get gets calls from cities and from communities and even from countries. Um, several calls a day, so it's it's growing. However, you know, the, the resourcing of health and public health approaches to reducing epidemic violence is nowhere near the other sectors, and this is really the missing piece. Yeah. The, the, the epidemic control, public health, intervention, outreach, interruption, behavior change, helping people not do these events,
0: Well, I can only say to you, as I said last time, congratulations for what you're doing and what you're achieving, the lives you're saving, the communities you're helping, giving people a completely different outlook on life, and providing opportunities for them to actually progress in their lives and not end up with their lives shortened or impacted very negatively because of violence that would otherwise take place. Thank you, Dr. Slutkin, for joining us. Thanks for the Cure Violence program. And everybody, it's cureviolence.org. Talk to your politicians about getting involved in funding. We'll talk to you again, Dr. Slutkin. Thanks again.
1: Thank you, Roy, for being an educator.
0: All the best, Steve, sir. Thank you. Dr. Gary Slutkin from Chicago, CureViolence.org, incredibly successful. When we come back, Dr. Frank Farley, the past president of the American Psychological Association, on the profiles of school shooters.